Introductory Matter of Isaac Walton's Lives of John Donne, Henry Wotton, Richard Hooker, and George Herbert. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Introductory Matter Containing an Introduction by Henry Morley, 1888, Walton's Dedication, and Walton's Epistle to the Reader. Henry Morley's Introduction Isaac Walton was born at Stafford in the year 1593, when Shakespeare had newly begun to write plays all his own, and he died in the year 1683, aged 91. He began life, soon after he came of age, in one of the little seamster or draper's shops on the exchange, seven and a half feet long by five feet wide, from which in Decker's Shoemaker's Holiday, sweet beauteous Jane tempted the enamoured Hammond, saying, Sir, what is it you buy? What is it you lack, sir? Calico or lawn? Fine cambric shirts or bands? what will you buy? In 1624, at the age of thirty-one, Isaac Walton moved into Fleet Street, where his shop was on the north side, two doors west of the end of Chancery Lane. He moved afterwards to the seventh house round the corner on the west side of the lane. He went to church at St. Paul's, where Dunn, who died in 1631, had been made dean in 1623, and he found a friend in the poet-preacher who first quickened his religious life. In 1626, the year of Francis Bacon's death, Isaac Walton married at Canterbury Rachel Flood, who was descended on the mother's side from Archbishop Cramner. Fourteen years afterwards, that first wife died, having given to her gentle husband seven children, who all died when young. In business, Walton prospered, and on holidays he went as an angler to the River Lee. The year of his first wife's death, 1640, was that of the publication of a volume of Dunn's sermons, to which Walton prefixed the life of Dunn, which will be found in this volume. Walton's age was forty-seven in that year, 1640, which was closely followed by the greater troubles between King and Parliament that grew to civil war. The civil war began in 1642, and in the following year Isaac Walton, aged fifty, gave up the business by which he had earned enough to live in peace. He was a firm friend to church and king, and loved the poets, and he was a contemplative man, not only when he went a-fishing. In 1646 Isaac Walton married again, his second wife being the sister of Thomas Ken, then a boy nine years old, afterwards one of the seven bishops who were sent to the tower for resisting James II's claim to a dispensing power who is remembered also by some gentle verses, among which are the familiar morning and evening hymns. Anne Ken, the sister who became the second wife of Isaac Walton, gave him sixteen more years of happiness in married life, beginning when his age was fifty-three, and ending when he was just reaching the age of threescore and ten. 
It was in the seventh year of this second marriage, when his age was sixty, that Isaac Walton published the first edition of his Complete Angler. There remained, after the death of his second wife, still twenty years of life before him, and he had also the solace left him of a son who bore his father's name, and a daughter who was named after her mother Anne. The second of the lives, published by Isaac Walton, was that of Richard Hooker, prefixed to an edition of his works in 1666, year of the Fire of London. The third was that of Sir Henry Wotton, prefixed to the Reliquiae Wotianiae in 1670. In the same year, 1670, appeared Walton's Life of George Herbert with his letters, and also the first collection of the four lives into a volume illustrated with portraits of the men described. That is the volume here reprinted. Within nine years of its first publication, it had reached a fifth edition, and it has since maintained its position as a living book. A fifth life, that of Dr. Robert Sanderson, Bishop of Lincoln, was not published until eight years later, in 1678, when the biographer had reached the age of eighty-five. Isaac Walton was for some time domesticated with George Morley, Bishop of Winchester, and in the house of his son-in-law, Dr. Hawkins, prebendary of Winchester Cathedral. He died at Winchester on the 15th of December, 1683. Walton's lives are of men who were very near to him, and whose lives touched his own. He was a child when Hooker died, but the George Cramner of whom he tells as Hooker's pupil was uncle to Walton's first wife. Dunn had from the pulpit of St. Paul's first stirred in him the depths of spiritual life, and had looked in on him when he kept shop near the corner of Chancery Lane. Walton was forty-six when Sir Henry Wotton died, while, as for George Herbert, Isaac Walton and he were both born in the same year, though one died in the earlier half of the reign of Charles I, the other lived on through the Commonwealth and through the reign of Charles II and into the reign of James II dying in the year of the executions of Lord Russell and Algernon Sidney. H. M. February, 1888 Walton's Dedication To the Right Honourable and Reverend Father in God, George, Lord Bishop of Winchester, and Prelate of the Most Noble Order of the Garter, My Lord, I did some years past present you with a plain relation of the life of Mr. Richard Hooker, that humble man to whose memory princes and the most learned of this nation have paid a reverence at the mention of his name. And now, with Mr. Hooker's, I present you also the life of that pattern of primitive piety, Mr. George Herbert, and with his the life of Dr. Dunn and your friend Sir Henry Wotton, all reprinted. The two first were written under your roof, for which reason, if they were worth it, you might justly challenge a dedication. And indeed so you might of Dr. Dunn's and Sir Henry Wotton's, because if I had been fit for this undertaking, it would not have been by acquired learning or study, but by the advantage of forty years' friendship. 
and thereby with hearing and discoursing with your lordship that hath enabled me to make the relation of these lives passable if they prove so in an eloquent and captious age and indeed my lord though these relations be well-meant sacrifices to the memory of these worthy men yet i have so little confidence in my performance that i beg pardon for superscribing your name to them and desire all that know your lordship to apprehend this not as a dedication at least by which you receive any addition of honour but rather as an humble and more public acknowledgment of your long continued and your now daily favours to my lord your most affectionate and most humble servant isaac walton epistle to the reader though the several introductions to these several lives have partly declared the reasons how and why i undertook them yet since they are come to be reviewed and augmented and reprinted and the four are now become one book i desire leave to inform you that shall become my reader that when i sometimes look back upon my education and mean abilities it is not without some wonder at myself that i am come to be publicly in print and though i have in those introductions declared some of the accidental reasons that occasioned me to be so yet let me add this to what is there said that by my undertaking to collect some notes for sir henry wotton's writing the life of dr dunn and by sir henry wotton's dying before he performed it i became like those men that enter easily into a lawsuit or a quarrel and having begun cannot make a fair retreat and be quiet when they desire it and really after such a manner i became engaged into a necessity of writing the life of dr dunn contrary to my first intentions and that begot a like necessity of writing the life of his and my ever-honoured friend sir henry wotton and having writ these two lives i lay quiet twenty years without a thought of either troubling myself or others by any new engagement in this kind for i thought i knew my unfitness but about that time dr gowden then lord bishop of exeter published the life of mr richard hooker so he called it with so many dangerous mistakes both of him and his books that discoursing of them with his grace gilbert that now is lord archbishop of canterbury he enjoined me to examine some circumstances and then rectify the bishop's mistakes by giving the world a fuller and truer account of mr hooker and his books than that bishop had done and i know i have done so and let me tell the reader that till his grace had laid this injunction upon me i could not admit a thought of any fitness in me to undertake it but when he twice had enjoined me to it i then declined my own and trusted his judgment and submitted to his commands concluding that if i did not i could not forbear accusing myself of disobedience and indeed of ingratitude for his many favours thus i became engaged into the third life 
For the life of that great example of holiness, Mr. George Herbert, I profess it to be so far a free-will offering that it was writ chiefly to please myself, but yet not without some respect to posterity. For though he was not a man that the next age can forget, yet many of his particular acts and virtues might have been neglected or lost if I had not collected and presented them to the imitation of those that shall succeed us. For I humbly conceive writing to be both a safer and truer preserver of men's virtuous actions than tradition, especially as it is managed in this age. And I am also to tell the reader that though this life of Mr. Herbert was not by me writ in haste, yet I intended it a review before it should be made public. But that was not allowed me by reason of my absence from London when it was printing, so that the reader may find in it some mistakes, some double expressions, and some not very proper, and some that might have been contracted, and some faults that are not justly chargeable upon me but the printer, and yet I hope none so great as may not by this confession purchase pardon from a good-natured reader. And now I wish that, as that learned Jew Josephus and others, so these men had also writ their own lives. But since it is not the fashion of these times, I wish their relations or friends would do it for them, before delays make it too difficult. And I desire this the more, because it is an honour due to the dead, and a generous debt due to those that shall live and succeed us, and would to them prove both a content and satisfaction. For when the next age shall, as this does, admire the learning and clear reason which that excellent casuist Dr. Sanderson, the late Bishop of Lincoln, hath demonstrated in his sermons and other writings, who, if they love virtue, would not rejoice to know that this good man was as remarkable for the meekness and innocence of his life as for his great and useful learning, and indeed as remarkable for his fortitude in his long and patient suffering, under them that then called themselves the godly party, for that doctrine which he had preached and printed in the happy days of the nation's and the church's peace. And who would not be content to have the like account of Dr. Field, that great schoolman, and others of noted learning? And though I cannot hope that my example or reason can persuade to this undertaking, yet I please myself that I shall conclude my preface with wishing that it were so. Isaac Walton End of Introductory Matter